Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. For me, it's more important than to speak about the downsides of this because someone comparing, someone chasing my dream will still end up struggling in the same way. If you would have asked me, who am I during this time? I would say, I am Katina Media. That was my personality, that was my identity, that was everything that I was gonna do was that company. So if that company would fail, that was more or less suicide for me because it was my entire life was that business. I'm a firm believer in just begin. And with that, I mean, just get started with whatever it is. So we basically never thought about something. We started, we did, and if it worked, great, then we did more. If it didn't work, we tossed it out the window and we were already starting with the next thing. My goal with, with great and with, with everything I do at the moment is to do the most possible good with whatever talents I have. But I also want to enable other people to do the most good with whatever talents they have. So personally, I believe that great is going to be an organization that will donate billions over the next 50 years. That's my goal. That's what I want to accomplish with this. What would you do if you just made $15 million? Our guest, Eric Bergman, today did just that. Two years ago, his first company went public. He made $15 million in one day on his 28th birthday. It's Fei Wu, and you're listening to the Face World podcast. Eric Bergman is 31, originally from Sweden. He now lives and works in Malta. He comes from a very ordinary family, but went to a rich and fancy school. In his own words, he felt like the poor kid, something that had a big impact on his self-esteem. And that experience alone gave him a big hunger for money. In this episode, Eric is an open book who spoke directly to his upbringing, exactly how he made $15 million, and why he started great.com and how much he paid for that freaking domain. To satisfy your curiosity, he talks about how $15 million affected his purchasing behavior. Have you ever wondered what you will do with $1 million or $10 million? I certainly have. For me, it will be endless podcasting, book writing, documentary filmmaking, supporting and be very involved in a few charities and causes I believe in, uh, including building schools. Uh, speaking of which, Eric did help build a school in Ghana in Western Africa. After that trip, he started to consider what's the best way for him to contribute? How can the world become that place? He started engaging in various projects and he started reading up on things. Eric knows deep down that there's something he does best, which is making money. His new plan and possibly a project of a lifetime is to make money and give everything away. 
So he built Great.com, a truly controversial charity about making money and giving it away. Towards the end of our conversation, I couldn't help but asking Eric about topics, possibly controversial, that he's willing to talk about on podcasts. Sex and relationships came into the picture, and Eric appeared to have studied for quite some time. He shared his stories, all the incredible resources, with you, my listeners, which are available on faceworld.com. People don't talk about sex, not even in private relationships. Eric felt that he had a lot to learn. So much of what I learned from him and this conversation and the resources led to one thing. How can we learn to truly love and respect ourselves? Please join Eric Bergman and me on the Phase World podcast today and hope you will share this conversation with one more person. Um, where are you located right now, Sweden? Uh, I'm from Sweden. I live in Malta. It's 400, 450,000 people or something. Uh, but it's like a small little Silicon Valley kind of place for uh, for European European tech companies are kind of around here because it's sunny, they speak English, and it's prefer- good tax systems. So that's why everyone ended up here. <laughs> wow, that's a that's see that's I'm learning something new already. Um, and I think you moved there because of I want to say this correctly. Is it Katina Media? It's actually the good pronunciation. Uh, well, no, uh, I moved here long before Katina. Depends on how you look at it. So I I did, uh, I moved from Sweden in 2010, and the main reason was that I wanted an adventure, and I was already working with what became Katina Media. But Katina Media as a formal entity didn't start until 2012. So two years after I left Sweden. Uh, but it's it's similar things it's built on the, the things that we built in Sweden. Wow. I, I have a lot of questions. I knew, you know, after watching your video, you sold the company. You're very open about it for $15 million. And it was you and another business partner as well. So I assume each one of you got $15 million. Yeah, we actually got a lot more than that. But yeah, so that was what we got on that day. And we we did a lot more. So it's founded by me and my childhood friend Emil. When we were born on the same day in the same hospital by parents who know each other. So What? This was arranged. <laughs> and, and, and ironically, the day when the company went on the stock exchange was on our 28th birthday. And that was also by by luck. It wasn't our decision. It was the banks who decided on that one. So, I believe that one. But the birth, <laughs> I think it's because your mom may be friends with the other <laughs> woman that say, hey, you're going and I'm coming too. But we used to live together. So me and Emil, we, we lived together for a long time. And so we both worked far too hard. And he got really burned out uh, from from the business. And a lot of that came from well, pressure that I put on him. I put a lot of pressure on the both of us. He was a calm, quiet computer geek who loved to do that. And I wanted to do big scale business. So he actually one year before we even went to the stock exchange, he more or less passed out and wasn't a part of the business anymore. Oh, and wow. he it took him like three years to recover. So that's been a, the, the dark side of... 
uh, of this of the Katina story and actually the things that I prefer to talk about when it comes to business because I think that everything that goes on is oh business is so good everything is always awesome the bigger the results the better that is and I've reached all the results I've done all those things and I lost my health and some of my closest friends in the game so that's the part I prefer talking about when it comes to these things because that's sometimes what that's what it takes and that's kind of the, the sacrifices that <laughs> I mean it's, it's both both sides of it but I think that's it's an interesting aspect because I believe that sure I did a very good job I worked very hard but I also got insanely lucky and with all those business transition happening at the same right time perfect space so I would not be able to redo it which means that it's also for me it's more important than to speak about the downsides of this because someone comparing someone chasing my dream will still end up struggling in the same way um, but you know you're a young guy you're 30 I remember that's you turned 30 recently uh, you know, I wonder, a lot of people do not have $15 million. And I don't care how much is in your bank account right now. But at, let's just say at one point, uh, you have your hands on a lot of money. A lot of people don't have a million dollars. So what does it feel or what did it feel uh, to have that much money? I mean, are you, what are the first things that come to mind? What are the first purchases that you, you are, you're going to the mall, you're heading to, I don't know, wherever. What was that like? So the main feeling I had when I made that money and when all of those things happened were I, I survived because I, I barely did the last year. So Emil, he completely crashed in early 2015. This was early 2016. So this was one year later and I had pushed myself far too hard for far too long. So, and we got delayed time over and time over whenever this happened. So the main feeling was actually not joy or this big celebration. The main feeling was I survived. So it's, those are the things I recall. More of like, okay, I managed to complete my, my commitments, things that I promised investors, things that I promised people. And so I managed to do this standing up. It took me, I mean, sure, that day was a big celebration in many ways. I was super excited, super fulfilled. I had reached all those financial goals that me and pretty much everyone else have been chasing. I wouldn't have to work a single day in my life. I had financial security for me and any future family or whatever. All of this is obviously amazing. The main thing was relief. That was the biggest thing I felt by by far. Can I, uh, may I ask why it was such a relief? Was it because it was, sounds like it was VC funded and it took a long time for the deal to close uh, where, or you said that the company was on the verge of uh, something I didn't quite fully understand. Yeah, so, so the company, it actually wasn't VC funded. We, we didn't raise any capital at all, more or less, but we still had... We had VCs in a sense, but it wasn't funded by them. So we sold half the company to them very early, but we didn't raise any money doing so. And we we went from uh, from CRO to uh, to IPO in three years, and 
I was under far too much pressure. I I was 20. So we started the business when I was 24 and had no previous experience. And I was the CEO taking on all of these things. Oh, the, the, the entire last year from the time where email got burned out, I just wanted to lie down and quit. But that wasn't an option. And there was a lot of pressure from the outside and especially from myself, I would say. This was my identity. If you would have asked me, who am I during this time? I would say, I am Katina Media. That was my personality. That was my identity. That was everything that I was going to do was that company. So if that company would fail, that was more or less suicide for me because it was my entire life was that business. We went financially very well, but it was so many employee discussions, so many things, so many people from the outside, such insane pressure from these VCs of how to do this and when to do it and all of these things. So I just more or less 2014 to 2015 is blank in my memory. I can barely remember those years. You probably barely slept. Yeah, I did not sleep much. I had a whiskey bottle next to my bed for two years and I drank whiskey to fall asleep every night. For, for two years? It's, uh, it's fascinating for me to connect with CEOs and founders, which I had a lot of opportunities in doing that. And I absolutely enjoy it. And also working with them as well is all of a sudden you learn so much of what you uh, didn't know working as a full-time employee. You think that commuting and such is a, is very tiring. It's a lot of work, which it is. But when you run your own company, the level of anxiety and stress will quadruple to a degree that you find it hard to get out of because it's difficult. So I'm curious. I feel like before we can close this chapter, I think people are probably wondering what type of business is or was Katina Media? And, you know, there are a lot of companies out there, but in order to be successful and for you to be able to sell the company, you did something right. And why do you think, you know, what it is and why do you think it was successful? So it's it's a it's a marketing company uh, affiliation, so online affiliation based on comparing products and just sending traffic basically uh, through search is the very short answer. The reason it was successful was several things. Uh, first and foremost, I I believe in luck and timing was essential. Those are not very fun talking about though because they can't really be replicated. So the parts that can be replicated is that we really enjoyed what we were doing. It came from a passion of creating things. So we didn't get tired when we did, at least not the first couple of years. We just wanted to do things and just play with it. It came from companionship between me and and Emil, and we were a perfect fit for each other, where I'm very business-oriented. I'm very extroverted. I love meeting people. I love negotiations, all these things. He hates that. But he's, on the other hand, the guy who built his first, first calculator when he was eight. So he's, he's a wizard when it comes to computers. So I came up with the ways of making money, and he made sure it could happen, basically. And that was the foundation of everything. So we came a long way, just the two of us. That's why we didn't raise funds to do anything because before we even took anyone on, we were making 40,000 euros a month in profits. So we were cash flow positive all the time, basically. So joy was one thing. 
perfect match of partners was one thing. Hard work and discipline in general was was another thing that this was we were very passionate about this and we worked really hard and very disciplined. We did things. And I'm a firm believer in just begin. And with that, I mean, just get started with whatever it is. So we basically never thought about something. We started, we did, and if it worked, great, then we did more. If it didn't work, we tossed it out the window and we were already starting with the next thing. So it's, it's a combination of all of these things. And yeah, luck and timing, two very big, important elements, but hard to replicate. Wow. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. I, I love the message of just start. That's how this podcast and, and many projects and new ideas uh, started for me, for a lot of people I know. What will you do if you just made $15 million? Our guest, Eric Bergman today, did just that. Two years ago, his first company went public. He made $15 million in one day, on his 28th birthday. He went on to create a controversial charity, Great.com, that is about making money and giving it all away. And so I want to go back to how you spend that $15 million, which uh, we... Could you give my listeners an idea of what you decided and ended up um, doing with that money? Every now and then I get the question, what's the most crazy thing that I've bought? (laughs) And I look at them and I give a very boring answer and say nothing, unfortunately. When when I was a kid, I used to count all my money in the amount of chewing gums I could buy because a chewing gum was about five cents. So how many chewing gums do I have? Then I turned 15 and chewing gums wasn't the big currency anymore. So that was number of beers. And then I was 20 and money was everything that matters to me. So I counted everything and how many bottles of champagne I could buy, basically. And then I made a lot of money and suddenly I couldn't really count it like that. So then I looked at, okay, what what is it now? I can buy anything and it doesn't matter. And still I felt the need of being sane in a way. And then I ended up having a conversation with, with a friend of mine. And he had just come back from from India and he had visited an organization working with child sex slavery. So the worst possible conditions you can ever imagine. And we had a dinner and he told me his stories and I sat there crying. I, I couldn't get this out of my head. So I met with the, the guys who, who run, ran this organization and founded the Swedish organization. And they told me that it takes costs roughly $1,000 to save one girl's life. And I found this out somewhere around the, uh, the IPO. So somewhere around the time I made the money. And suddenly before I counted money towards what I had in my bank account, okay, I can buy anything because it's, it's endless, more or less. After this, I counted everything towards a little girl's life. It's like, I, I can't buy something crazy, expensive, stupid thing. Counting it in children's lives that have done nothing wrong but being so unfortunate. So I haven't done anything crazy from that perspective. I haven't bought a fancy car. I haven't got a boat. I haven't got my own plane. Mm, wow. Have you ever gotten negative feedback in terms of 
you know, who you are, how come you haven't done more with the money for yourself, for your family? Yeah, I get lots of it, I would say. Uh, I mean, Katina is also, it's a marketing company in the gambling industry. So I come from the gambling industry, which means that already there, it's a tricky situation. And I'm very involved with charities, which then is, raises the question, okay, so you kill people in the gambling industry and then you give away to become a saint or anything like that. You just want to be a hero. And I get that. I fully, fully understand that, that angle. I would probably have said the same thing if I was on the other side of this. And I have nothing to say to really defend myself. I completely understand that aspect. I come from a family where humanitarian values are, are key. I ended up in the gambling industry because I loved playing poker when I was 16. And then it just took off. I followed my passion for that. So a lot of people say these things, and I would too. And yeah, that's pretty much just the way it is. But you're doing great things these days. And uh, I want to talk about great.com, which is very easy to find. Uh, you know, most people know how to type the word and has a very clear message. You have a lovely video, very passionate, very emotional video, which I think, I want to talk about that video for a second. It's seven minute long, but I just, I watch you speak those words. And I know that in general, it's hard. It's one thing to record an audio podcast and people listen to your voices it can be pretty vulnerable, but to put yourself out there and record that video. Um, could you maybe explain uh, what that message is about? I do encourage people to go to great.com, actually watch it for themselves. Um, what was going through your head in terms of structuring that story? And how did you feel when you stood in front of the camera? <laughs> so that was more or less the first time I was recording something uh, in that way. I wanted to, to share my my emotional state that was the core in this and share this experience that I had that, that changed my life. So what I'm, what I'm talking about in this video for you who are listening, it's a story about me going to, to Ghana, visiting this school. And when this happens, I'm quite lost in my life. I've lost, I'm not sure what I want to do with things. I've made this money, but at the same time, I'm struggling to find purpose. And I visit this school and I, yeah, I go and listen to it and you will get the points. But I wanted to, to tell this story. I wanted to become a good storyteller. I think that's so essential in, in everything that is marketing and basically everything that is relationships. If, if you can tell stories well and you can do these things well. So I practiced a lot with people who are good storytellers and I look up to and that story actually just, well, that story that, that was a part of me just writing something down in a completely different uh, perspective. And I was doing that on a presentation and Emil, another Emil who was there, he was like, wow, what a story. How long have you been practicing that one? I'm like, I just wrote it down. This was my experience. He's like, that thing you need to keep telling. <laughs> Yeah, it felt really good. Uh, I'm very happy with how it turned out. That well, that's great, and you know, I know you're building great as a company. To I think the marketing message, or the in short, is to encourage other entrepreneurs to build their great businesses, and essentially the idea is to give it away. Uh, I think what you mean by that is financially, sort of 
uh, give the money away to support other people uh, in needs, whether it's charitable organizations or maybe individuals. Like, what is your vision? I know it's still kind of unfolding at the moment. What is your vision for that company? Okay, so my my goal with with great and with with everything I do at the moment is to do the most possible good with whatever talents I have. But I also want to enable other people to do the most good with whatever talents they have. And for a lot of people, their talents is web development or they're programmers or whatever that might be. And the best thing they could do for the world could be to work for a company that is very commercial in the sense that it focuses all the attention on making money, but then gives all of it away in a very business-like and efficient way. So that's what we want to do. We want to create something that is very commercial in a sense, but I'm the only owner. We will never raise any funds from it. So 100% of the profits will go to charity. So the difference will basically be that I'm using my business skills and my knowledge from what I do and will able to do what I believe is the best thing I can do for the world. But I will also, the aim is also to enable other people to be part of that journey. So instead of working for whatever big Silicon Valley company there might be, where there is VC funds and there's all this money and there might be an IPO, whatever is going to happen, they could spend their talent here, be paid more or less the same, do more or less the same thing, but with that big meaning. So I want to find those kinds of products and, and take it from there. Wow. So what will be an example? What if uh, people listening right now, myself included, uh, were eager to participate? Uh, what are some of the path they could be taking? Um, if we just we can just be very hypothetical, a software company or a company in music, company in digital marketing. So, so, so we're creating a marketing company. It's going to be very similar to, to what I've done before. And the, the aim is to create uh, comparison services for pretty much everything in the future. This is going to start from the gambling industry because that's what I know. It's, so it's going to be great.com slash casino is going to be one of the sections. But in the future, it will also be great.com traveling, great.com insurances, great.com hotels, whatever these kind of things where we will compare all services, basically what you can do on hotels.com or... So it's basically going to be comparing products in, in all different segments. Uh, and we will get commission on that and commissions will be donated. So oh. the, idea is, the, the idea is not to have donating as our business model. The, the idea is to do it in the best possible way with a long-term goal and just donating whatever profit would otherwise would be given to already rich investors. I see. So uh, I understand the business model uh, a little more now. It's, uh, for example, if it is about hotels, since you mentioned hotels.com as an example, if these big, you know, Fortune 500 uh, clients and companies would choose to uh, be part of your organization, then that partnership, when as a result of someone purchasing a room or a vacation, uh, a percentage of that is automatically donated to a charity um, or yes. charitable cause. Yeah, that's the short version. Yeah. So this business model is called affiliation. And for, for you who listen to this, and if you want to start your own business, affiliation, Google it, learn about it, 
to me, that's the easiest way of running a side business. You can do that with one hour a week and you can make $100 a month or something doing that. And you can start how small you want or how big you want. So affiliation is amazing. And affiliation is basically, you can plug into hotels.com or you can plug into a lot of different companies to their systems already and you will work only on commission. So if you don't deliver anything, you're not costing them anything, which means it's super easy to get started. So hotels.com is an affiliate to pretty much all the hotels out there. And they have already, you just plug in and play and go with them and you will earn roughly 10% of a hotel booking. So if someone books a hotel room for $200, that's $20 down your pocket if you can get that person coming there. So it's going to be very similar to that for all kinds of products. Mm. And then the difference is, uh, not to pick on Hotels.com, there as an organization, many of these affiliated uh, companies and programs, they're keeping all the profit. Uh, you know, they, they deserve it. I'm not judging based on that. But what you are doing uh, as these uh, affiliate program or affiliate incomes will come to great.com, uh, you are making a very distinctive decision to actually, uh, it's not a donation process, but um, could you maybe clarify that? Like, what, what are you doing with the money that you gain from great.com? Yeah, so we will we will be a business like any anything else. Our goal is not to be a charity organization. We will never receive anyone else's donation. No one will donate money to us. So we will be, we could be hotels.com in a sense. The only difference is that we will donate all the profits. So when a regular company does dividends payments and pay the shareholders, we will donate it. And we will donate it to a very large extent based on, on data. Because one of the biggest challenges with charity is that it's hard to know which organization does the best job or is the most efficient and which cause is the most efficient to work with and how do you compare planting trees to curing cancer. I mean, there are all of these very tricky elements of doing. And I've spent the last couple of years really researching this and learning a lot about these things. So there are causes that are so much cheaper to make a difference in than, than others. So we want to go very number oriented and support those causes. And if you listen and you're interested in finding out which charities makes the biggest difference, go to givewell.org. That's an amazing organization, givewell.org. So what they do is that they their goal is to tell, tell whoever visits, these are the 10 organizations that we really recommend, that have the most transparent data, the most follow-up. They're very open with their mistakes. They work with, um, with the courses that you can do where each dollar makes the biggest difference, basically. So they will tell you their top-ranked organization right now is called against malaria foundation and they they are top ranked because according to them that's the cheapest way that you can save a child's life basically on a on a large scale and that's with nets against ma uh, malaria so mosquito nets wow and there's a research element i like that as well it's not just to blindly or make the process very easy to say i've already done my job i'm just going to throw my money right here and then claim it uh, but you were doing research on the side. I, I'm curious if there are any other causes that interest you personally um, as well. Okay, so I'll, I'll start in a little bit of a different direction. The reason why I started doing this is that I did a lot of mistakes early on. 
So one of the mistakes I did was supporting this um, this organization that I told you about before with these child prostitution situation. So the organization, great organization, they do a lot of very good things, but the challenge was that, so I met with them and I donated $100,000 to this organization with the aim then to save 100 children from this. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if they managed to save these 100 children. But what I've realized when I've been thinking about it at the end is that Let's say they did manage to break into these brothels. They save 100 children. They have still not done anything about the demand. So there are still people who want to pay for this and want to do this. And there are people who want to kidnap girls. So what could have happened, and I'm not sure that this happened, but I'm not sure that it didn't happen, was that 100 other girls got kidnapped instead. And maybe they were put in even worse conditions so they couldn't be rescued. So even though it was an amazing organization with a fantastic cause, there is no way for me to know that I actually made a positive impact. Mm. So this is, this is the downside of a lot of charities then, that even if they got the best intentions, it's hard to see if it, if it makes a difference. So with this lesson in mind, knowing that I cannot donate those $100,000 somewhere else, they, they are gone. And maybe they did something amazing, maybe they didn't. I'm never gonna know. I started really researching this and see where can my money make the most impact? Who has done this research before? Who knows about this? Who can I talk to? And some causes that I've been donating to is, for example, this Against Malaria Foundation. They give away mosquito nets in areas with a lot of malaria and have very good track record of data and doing things. I support an organization called Give Directly, which is a really cool system. So what GiveDirectly does is that they, they look at satellite pictures to find the areas where they have the worst uh, roofs on their sheds. And the logic is, if you don't have a roof, you have nothing. So it's a very easy way of finding super, super poor people in uh, sub-Saharan countries in Africa. And the logic is the poorer someone is, the bigger difference will $1 make or whatever money is donated to them. And they give cash straight to these people. So they can come, let's say, let's say you live in a, you have nothing. And so you will actually get money straight in your hand and you will be able to do whatever decision you want to make with that money. And the catch, kind of catch, is that if you do something good, we will come back three months later and we will give you more money. And Nine out of 10, roughly, will do something very good with this money because they, they're not poor because they're stupid or because they took a lot of risks. They're poor because they're born into that. They're smart people. They just never had the opportunity. So most of them will take the money and do something very cautious and spend the money very wisely. And they will also spend the money... If, if you're going to put together a shed, you're not going to go to some big fancy store in the city to buy whatever you need. You're going to buy it from someone else who is super poor. So the money spins around there and you can easily follow what did this family do with this money. So that's give directly. It's it's a really cool organization as well. Wow. It's just fascinating for me to listen to this because I've only thought about in a very contained way that certain cause, certain things, certain people, very, very specific that I want to help. And I think that's how a lot of people, perhaps in my um, condition and situation, are really envisioning what social service means. But at your level, 
Uh, and with the research and now with great.com, I feel like you have a lot more leverage potentially. And I can see maybe there, is there a not-for-profit wing branch of great.com? I know there's also, there's one for profit, but you're basically giving it all away. So do you have like a little research department? Do you have like a little social media team to kind of help you really strategically decide where the money's going and what it's doing, the results of all that is? Yeah. So, so right now we have parts of our team working with these and myself, I'm very passionate about these things. But one of the one of the things that we want to to do with Great is also to have Great.com slash charity, which we're obviously not going to make any money from, but where we want to educate on these questions and make it so much easier for anyone to to find these organizations. Because when I talk to people about charity, it's very common that there's a lack of trust that people say, oh, but yeah, but where does the money go? Or can you really trust that? Or if I should give, should I really give this or that? And it's valid. Uh, Some organizations are not as good as they claim to be, but but a lot of them are. It's just that the newspapers will tell you about the charity organizations that do shitty things because a charity organization that do something good is not a news article. So we are very tainted with this. So what we want to do on great.com slash charity in the future will be to, to really map it up. So first we want to make it easy that what does, what does Faye care about? Start by giving you questions. Do you care the most about um, animals or humans, for example? Because it's not a right or wrong question. It's philosophical. And you might say, I care the most about animals. Okay, then we can say... Do you care the most about ending suffering for as many animals as possible? Or do you care the most about saving species that are about to get extinct? And let's say you want to save the most animals possible. You want to limit their their suffering. Then we could guide you towards the best organizations that work with veganism, for example. Because that's actually the most efficient way of of limiting suffering. So we then can then give you a top list of these are the best organizations, the best renowned organizations doing this and that. It's based on these data. You can compare it like this and actually educate whoever wants to donate money and help setting these things up. Because the challenge with charity organization is, is both is trust, but it's also marketing. They don't know marketing. The reason why they're in charity is often that they don't care about marketing. So we want to solve that thing. So that's going to be a big part of, of what we're doing in the future. No, I would love to see that and follow on that as well. It, it's very frustrating for for both parties, the good charities who are not really getting the, the attention, being noticed by people who could actually help them. On the other hand, I think with your first example of trying to save these um, girls, I think there's no follow-up from these organizations. They could say they're busy, they've moved on to the next thing, but with no follow-up to someone who has made such significant donation, it wasn't just $100, what's next? And I think because of that one example, someone like yourself could have given and provided so much more, um, but it was such a, you know, like a sour experience. And therefore it's going to impact not just you personally, but, you know, we're hearing about these examples as well. What will you do if you just made $15 million? Our guest, Eric Bergman today, did just that. Two years ago, his first company went public. 
he made $15 million in one day on his 28th birthday. He went on to create a controversial charity, Great.com, that is about making money and giving it all away. You spent $900,000 on Great.com? The more I talk to you, the more I think it's worth it because it's like you bought... <laughs> it, it sounds I'm like you actually, Right? But you basically bought 10,000 awesome domain names with all the subdomains, um, subdirectories, so great.com forward slash this. And yeah, what, what was your thinking pattern, thought pattern towards spending $900,000? And how did people make fun of you at the time? I want to learn more. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good story as well. Uh, yeah, so my logic was like this. I want, with, with Katina, I built the company to sell it. I never built it to love it. I didn't build it, I didn't build it to marry it. This was something that was built to sell, in a sense. And it almost killed me. And this is a project that I built to love. I built to live it. I'm 31 years old, and I intend on working at least another 50 years with something that I love doing. So my aim with this is that great.com is going to be my project for the next 50 years. And that also gives a whole other scale to things. I mean, Google is a company that's roughly 20 years old. You can even imagine what you can do in 50 years and with the intention of that. So keeping that in mind, then the name is going to be very, very important. And spending $900,000 on a domain name, if you split it up in 50 years, then it's suddenly quite cheap and you, the name you, you get to keep. So the logic was basically how much is a name worth in terms of marketing if you're going to build something really, really big. And my goal is to build something really, really big. So then 900,000 to me at the time felt cheap. I would probably be paid three times as much if I had to because I believe the name makes such a big difference. I mean, people listening to this podcast is very likely going to remember the name great.com a week from now. But if it was called uh, thegreatorganization2019.com or whatever I could have bought for 10 bucks, no one would have remembered it. Mm, that's a good point. I love the way that you're thinking through. So uh, did anybody come to you, especially friends and family or someone close to you can kind of tell you how they were feeling uh, how did people react if they didn't think it was worth it at all? <laughs> I mean, so, so the logic is I'm, I'm buying something for $900,000 to give all the money away. This is the part that people struggle with to understand. And in a way, this is very, very challenging to think, think of it this way. So if, if we take this back to, to malaria nets and these mosquito nets that I talked about, Based on data, saving a children's a child's life cost about two and a half thousand dollars with their data. I'm not going to go into detail, but roughly, which means that nine hundred thousand dollars are more than three hundred lives that I put in into a domain name, and I'm doing it, and I'm claiming that I'm doing it to do good. This is the part that I struggle with the most myself because this means that these three hundred children will not be saved they will die. And that's on my shoulders. That's on my conviction of that this is right. And I struggle with that. 
and I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing, but I'm committed to doing the right thing and committed to doing a difference with this. So personally, I believe that GREAT is going to be an organization that will donate billions over the next 50 years. That's my goal. That's what I want to accomplish with this. And then I need to invest a million dollars in the name. And I think that that will make it possible to donate a lot more than a million dollars extra. But this is the way that where my logic doesn't necessarily make sense or it's it becomes a bit of philosophical. Is it the correct move to invest instead of giving and give later? Could I even make that argument? Could I, is, can it ever be correct to not save 300 lives? And I don't know, it's, we're, we're out there in deep philosophical questions right now. Yeah, it's clear that you've spent a good amount of time thinking about it. And, but recently in talking to entrepreneurs and influencers, they said that you have to learn to accept as well. When other people, maybe in less, way less, um, you know, in, in very poor conditions, uh, you know, people that you use to help, actually the relationship turns around and they're to help you. What do you think of that dynamic? Like, do you think you will be able to accept something from, from someone else less privileged than you are? Uh, in a situation, I think it's very situational as well. If someone didn't know who you are, um, you're at a coffee shop or at a social situation when someone offers to, you know, help you out, maybe give you money, maybe something I that's would, not. I, I would accept it with open arms. Uh, I think that one of my top skills, in a sense, is that I ask for help. And I do that very openly, very often to anyone at any time. And that's something that I've done naturally for quite some time. And it's, it's fairly recently I realized that that's not so common. So anyone who, who would offer to help me in a coffee shop with whatever it might be, I would gladly accept that help. And I would gladly help as well. That's one of the things I struggle with with great right now is that a lot of people want to help, but I don't have an easy way of letting them help because it's there there isn't that kind of tasks at the moment. But that's one of the challenges uh, with this right now is that I I want to ask for help, but I'm not sure what to ask for. What to ask just yet. I think some people, a lot of people listening to the show, they're really incredible people. And we also have um, people who are not American. I, I live here and it's an English show, but people from all around the world and also immigrants living in America um, whose parents came here or they came here by themselves. And making money, I tell people, making money is a lot easier than dealing with a lot of other things. So I always call it easy, but for most people, it's not easy. They're struggling. Let's just say if I want to throw out this, like a little bit of a challenge to you, because I think you're somehow the perfect person to answer this, you know, it, for a lot of people, a thousand dollars for like a single person or something like $2,500 for a family of three, four, even more is a huge difference. Just that extra amount of money. And I talk to them all the time. I coach some of them and it's, difficult for these parents to consider, like, I can't just get another job. I, I don't have any more hours in the day, in the week. And you mentioned the affiliate program, which is something I do bring up every once in a, in a while. Then I'm, can you like either set up the challenge or, or help us better understand, like, how do we even get started with affiliate 
uh, marketing, affiliate revenue streams, like random ideas that's maybe not necessarily casino or gambling. Like, how do we go about it? So for anyone who needs more money, I would first actually start in the completely different direction. How do you limit your spending? Because that's something that everyone can do to some extent tomorrow. And I believe in, as we spoke about before, just begin. So start doing something. Decide, ask yourself, what did I spend money on the past month that I actually didn't need? And decide to shop that the next month. And that's, I don't know, maybe 10 extra bucks, maybe maybe 100, maybe 1,000, depending on whoever you are. But I think that's the by far easiest thing is to limit spending. And money not spent is worth as much as extra money gained, even more because you already paid taxes and stuff. But yeah, that's just a completely different direction. If you want to set up an affiliate business and starting playing around with this, uh, the first thing I would do is to to try out vix.com, W-I-X.com, where you can super easily do your own website. Anyone can do this and it's free. You can use it for free uh, when you get started. And I would probably connect with, with Amazon's affiliate program. So Amazon has an affiliate program. If you just Google Amazon affiliate and guide, you will probably find an easy way of setting it up. And you will be able to earn a commission on anything that's being sold on Amazon. So whatever you are passionate about, uh, let's say you like knitting or you like Lego or you like whatever, you could start writing about this in a way that you would enjoy doing it. You could do that from an Instagram account or from your website or how you do this. And you will just have Amazon links. And this is the easiest way of getting it. It's not the most efficient. It's most, not the way you will make the most money. But this is a way that pretty much anyone could get started in less than 24 hours of doing something. And if you just spend an hour a week doing something like this, after a year, some money will come in. If you spend more than an hour a week, it will go faster. But there will be visitors and there will be small amounts of money coming in. And personally, I believe that the most important thing is to see that some money comes in and then anyone who says they didn't have time will suddenly have time because it's so fun to see those first money coming in. It's so true. Suddenly have time, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Suddenly you realize, oh, I don't need to spend all this time on Instagram. I could uh, write on my website or figuring small things out. So for us, with with the first website we built, we made a thousand euros the first year. We actually gave up after three months because we had made no money. And then we started doing other things and we came back to this project a year later and we had made a thousand euros that year. Uh, So roughly a thousand dollars. The year after that, we made $10,000. And the year after that, we made probably 50. And then it just skyrocketed. What were you selling uh, for the first website, if you still remember? So this was Bingo. So we did Bingo online. We compared, this was all in Swedish. And we we compared different bingo websites with each other. Um, so how did you profit yes, from it? Like how how does the revenue travel for a bingo site? Yeah, so we compared bingo offers. So if you wanted to find a bingo bonus, or you wanted to play where they had they had a lot of different chat games, for example. So we had guides about how do you play games in the chat and these kind of things. And we got paid for each player that started playing bingo. So 
we cooperated with with a site called mariabingo.com back in the days. Um, they have bingo.com today as well, so they're huge. And it was super simple. To, it was also only commission. So we set up a deal with them, which took 20 seconds to get started or something like that. Okay, two minutes probably. And you just connect that to our website. And whenever, if you come and start reading at our website, you went to them and started playing, we would get paid for you as a referred player from us. And they made it very easy to set up the affiliate link. They, they made that whole backend fairly easy to set up. Super easy. Super easy. And if you're doing it with Amazon today, it's super easy. If you, It's super easy with pretty much everything today. This was 10 years ago and it was easy then. So that's that's how it started. Do you think in terms of the amount of revenue, uh, if someone, for example, somebody likes shirts and shoes, sure, and that's a pair on Amazon could be for $20, $30. The commission's very small versus people who are who want to write or sell camera equipment. Uh, that is all of a sudden, you know, it's a certain percentage of the sales uh, will be much bigger. Do you think there are some strategic decisions people need to think about in terms of how much they want to make versus what they love to talk about and when they love selling? So I think that the two most important thing is how quick does it come to get started and how much do you enjoy what you do? And if you're a very number-oriented, money-oriented person, maybe whatever makes the most money is where you find the most joy. If you're not a very money-oriented person, then that's the wrong decision to make because you're going to fail. If you don't enjoy what you're doing, you're not, you're not going to get there. So you can think so much about strategy and you can make the optimal thing, but the reason why it's a lot of money in an area is usually that it takes longer to get there. It takes more work to get there. And I mean, I gave up after three months. It was just a luck that we accidentally started to make money after we actually gave up. But if you, if we would have made money in the first three months, we probably wouldn't have given up. So if you can do something that you enjoy doing and where the first, I'd say it's more important that the first $2 come in fairly quickly then it will become $200 at some point. I don't think it matters that much that it's small numbers. It's just that you need to see something happening. Mm. Um, you use the word that the, you know, Wix, Amazon to be the easiest way, but not necessarily efficient. So could you maybe elaborate a little bit on something that's maybe harder, a little more difficult, but efficient and effective? Okay, so if the goal is to make the most possible money and to do this over time, for me, this comes from um, from from gambling because that's what I do. And that's where I ended up. And I ended up there by falling in love with poker at age 16. And in gambling, for one player, if you do this in in the US, you will earn somewhere between... $200 and $1,000 in commission for one player. So it's obviously a lot harder to, to get to these players and get out there than it will be to find something small, but the paycheck will be a lot bigger. So what you do then is you either, if you want to do it in the US, there's a few regulated states where you can do this. So you need to actually have a license with New Jersey, for example or you can do this outside of the US and you can very easily partner up with uh, with big companies. And then you connect with each company 
and they have their own affiliate program, their own terms, their own decisions. You get to negotiate with each one of them instead of just going to Amazon and have all the products or hotels.com and have all the hotels. So it's more complicated, but at the end of the day, it, it's potentially a lot more money. What will you do if you just made $15 million? Our guest, Eric Bergman, today did just that. Two years ago, his first company went public. He made $15 million in one day on his 28th birthday. He went on to create a controversial charity, Great.com, that is about making money and giving it all away. You also mentioned, I think it's a key distinction, a key element. Uh, I it, it rang a bell in my head immediately when you said content creation, meaning if you are going to sell shoes or something, uh, you know, that you feel passionate about. For me, clothing and such, I, I absolutely adore. Um, I think content creation sounds like something that's also important. So you don't just set up a website and be done with it. Like here's some shoes and clothes, good luck you actually become a curator in a sense to say why people should come to your site and what is the value that you're providing on top of just these links to uh, or items from Amazon. Like, could you maybe talk about that? Is this is why it becomes so important to enjoy what you're doing because to create content that you don't enjoy is, well, either a long suffering or impossible, depending on how you look at it. So the value that that is being provided in, in what we have been doing, for example, is that we have one website called askgamblers.com. And one of the values that they offer is that if you have a, as a player have been mistreated, we act as a judge in a sense. So you can come to us with, oh, this casino promised me this and that. I could get these offers and they didn't deliver on that. And then we will look at some print screens, whatever they say. We take it up with the, the casino. And then they give us their, uh, their, their proof, like, okay, this person didn't read these terms and conditions or didn't do that. Or actually they might say, oh, they're actually right. And they didn't do this. Uh, so we, we take them through this process and then we uh, give a recommendation. Like either we recommend that the casino pay the player or we recommend that player give up. And if the casino doesn't go with our recommendation, that becomes public. Like, yeah, these guys doesn't listen to our recommendation. And this way, I'm not sure how much money was 2018, probably around $10 million were paid out to players thanks to these, uh, these services that AskGamblers.com offers. Wow. So that's one of the things where we add a lot of value, where we help mediate these conflicts then. that I mean, that's as, as high as value goes. It's not even just writing about gambling, writing about playing a certain game, but you're connecting uh, different people and services together to really provide value, right? You know, there's certain pain points that come with Gambling, for sure. And a lot of people, especially as consumers, we sign these agreements, user agreements all the time without reading them until we're hurt later. And then again, in a powerless position to not know what our next steps are. So 
That's that's brilliant. Um, and regardless, whatever product it is that people want to sell or what they're passionate about, if you're passionate about something, you probably know more than most other people. And there is always one way or another you can help out. You can teach people how to podcast and then you could probably sell microphones and stuff like that on Amazon or whatever. That's just one teeny tiny way of doing this where you're actually giving value and that way people will come and learn from you. Anyone can start something today. And that's why, yeah, I reiterate, like, aim for $10. Don't aim for $10,000. Aim to make $10. Because when you do, you're going to get a kick of it. You're going to enjoy it. And then you're going to aim for 50 bucks and then 100 bucks. And, I mean, 99% of all business ideas or whatever it might be never becomes anything because they're just an idea. So whatever you can do with it, just get started. It's it's going to matter so much. Worst case scenario, you make zero money but you learned something. Thank you for all of this. Is there something that you would love to share with us, but I haven't uh, had a chance to ask yet? I'd love people to come and listen to our podcast. So we started podcasting a couple of months back. So our podcast, Becoming Great, would be amazing with people listening to where we we take a very emotional side in business. So how, how will we build great? What's important to us? So the last episode we recorded this morning actually was how does business how have business impacted our relationship before so it's me and my business partner Emil who talks and how today we spoke about how our extreme goal orientation have kind of killed relationships for us because we're so focused on business that love have kind of been pushed aside and we're taking those types of conversations in there where we think it really matters what are, we just said that we should avoid goals and what is the feeling or what is an ideal outcome you hope to get out of um, becoming great? So first and foremost, I, I believe so much in the format of podcasting. Uh, I think that the conversation that we had now, if we were to try and accomplish the same emotional connection in writing, that would have been so hard and be able to get tonality of voice, all of these things, and get someone to listen to it. And to read this, uh, if we did this as a blog, would probably be half an hour of read. And for people to find half an hour to read is so hard. I'm never reading something that's more than five minutes if it's an article online. But this people can plug in and hopefully feel connected to our voices and these things. So I believe more in in the medium of podcast than I've believed in, in any other medium in terms of online. So I'm just very late into the game of podcasting. It's more that than, than anything else. So I want to use our podcast as a, well, information platform and a recruitment platform for everything that we do. So I want to be able to talk about charity and what we do with these things. I want to be able to talk about how do we want to build an intelligent organization where we care about each other? Where, so one thing that have, we have a check-in process on each of our one our business meetings. So we start every meeting with, for between 30 seconds and two minutes, everyone talks about how they're feeling right now. Where are they today emotionally? And then we can adjust to this. So what actually happened on, on Monday, the reason we had this relationship call was that we're, we're four of us checking in and three of us were feeling super good and I was feeling really shitty. So I actually started crying during this checking process because I've had some very rough things going on with, with Johanna, my fiance. And 
Then we just put all everything aside in the business and focused on me and this. And that does so much for the connection and the team spirit and everyone else and so many things. So this is things that I'd love to talk about and love other businesses to be inspired of and hopefully do. Because in my previous business, it was always put on a strict face and straight into it and if you're focusing on your love life that means that you're weak rather than anything else so these are all things that i'd like to talk about and like to inspire and hopefully be able to recruit people that really vibes with this that want to be a part of this Mm -hmm. i have a last question it's kind of funny i saw your website i think it's on linkedin or something you said i'm willing to talk about marketing entrepreneurship and something something on sex did you write that yes are you, I was like, sex. I've never seen any. I was like, are you talking? Is it like sexuality? Is it LGBTQ? Okay, is so, it what? What so is it I'll, about? I'll take, <laughs> okay, so I'm I'm super passionate about the topic of sex in, in general, and so the reason I came into podcasting or I got interested in it was that I was asked to be on Framgångspodden, which is the Swedish equivalent of the Tim Ferriss show. So it's a huge podcast in, in Sweden. And on the first episode of... Uh, the, I, I've been on it twice. Uh, the first one was two years ago. And then me and Johanna, my fiancé, we had actually just broken up. And the only reason for that, that was our sex life didn't work. We didn't manage to figure those things out. I have a very, very strong sex drive and we're not on the same page in this. And I spoke quite vul- very vulnerably about our relationship, but didn't touch so much about the sexual aspects on it then, and because I didn't have any answers or any solutions. And then me and Johanna, we got back together four, five, six months later, and I've devoted a lot of my time into solving this. And I've, I'm far from solving it, but we've gotten a long way, and it's better in every single way. And I went on the same podcast again uh, late last year, uh, September or something. And then I spoke about that that was the reason why we broke up. So I brought that up that, okay, we split up because of sex. And this has been the solutions and the approaches that we've taken on since then. And I got so many people reaching out to me that were so moved about that story because people don't talk about sex that way and I'm very vulnerable talking about these things and I'm very open about my experiences with this and I feel that I've learned so much that no one has ever talked to me about I've gone on a spiritual path in figuring these things out and I mean in, in Sweden and I'm guessing in the same way in the US is no one teaches us sex we need to learn that on our own and then we think it's weird that we don't understand it Everyone is supposed to be good at it, but no one has ever read a book. <laughs> and um, so where did you find your solutions? You're still on a path. Do you mean websites, books, and teachers? Like, what are the resources that you found? So th- this started with, uh, well, with me starting to contemplate, okay, what is this? What's going on? And I, I, I'm becoming more and more religious and believing more and more in synchronicity the last couple of years. And a year and a half ago, I met a man named Ken. And we went to have lunch uh, for no reason whatsoever. And we sat down 
And he went straight into telling his life story, which was very open, very vulnerable, and very much about sex in a way you don't start a conversation like that. And when he was done, I just was looking at him with my mouth open and said, you just described my life. And he looked at me and he's like, yeah, I figured. I to another that. man too, which is, can be yeah. extra awkward, yeah. Yeah, and he's 53, I was 30. So it felt like he had actually lived my life in, in many ways, and, but he was seven years ahead of my, my curve. So he and his wife had more or less split up for similar reasons. Well, they, they got to the same point, and then he decided, I need to fix this. What is it that I want to do? So he had read all these books, done all these seminars, watched everything that you can possibly do, and done the, the research, and he became my mentor in a sense. So I read a lot of books that he recommended. I did a lot of things that he uh, he had done. Well, one very specific thing, which is there is a is a TED talk about this as well, by Emily Nagoski. He speak she speaks about the uh, the gas and the brake. When when people think about sex, they usually think I need to turn someone on. I need to get more pe- more things on the gas. So this was something that I always did in in my relationship. I tried to come up with reasons for us to have sex. And that could be a hotel weekend. That could be a nice dinner and a bottle of wine. That could be coming up with a game. That could be buying a toy, whatever it is. Always a reason to have sex. The downside of that is that it also comes with uh, guilt and expectations, which is actually a reason not to have sex. So I might have come up with a reason to have sex, but it's an equally powerful reason not to have sex. Yeah. And pretty much everyone has enough reasons to have sex. We have that biologically, but our society has come up with a billion reasons not to have sex, which is usually stress or I'm not good enough or I don't look good or whatever there might be. I could get a child. I don't know. So I focused all the attention I had on making Johanna want to have more sex instead and never any attention of making her feel safe or giving all all focus on what can be how what what can i do for her to feel more secure and so i stopped focusing completely on anything that could add pressure i i stopped coming up with romantic things to do because she always read that as yeah eric has expectations now anyway this has just been one big shift in how our relationship looks and where I'm focusing on and what I can do. So all of these kind of things has spiraled into me learning a lot more about it and reading a lot more about it. So that is brilliant. That is a, yeah, it's very fascinating um, for me to listen to this and for people to even have that level of awareness. You know, some people kind of go through life to think that uh, maybe there's something wrong with my partner there's something wrong with me. Well, there's no way to really solve for it, but this definitely shedding new light on a common problem that a lot of people are experiencing. Um, thank you for being so open. Thank you so much. I, I really enjoyed it. You have a gift and all of this, and I really hope that you keep going and who knows, maybe I'll build something that will be part of great.com. Uh, this soon. was a pleasure. Yeah. So happy to be here. Hi there, it's me again. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode and I hope you were able to learn a few things. 
If you enjoy what you heard, it would be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the Phase Royal podcast. It literally takes seconds. If you're on your mobile phone, just search for Phase Royal podcast in the podcast app on iPhone or an Android app such as Podcast Addict, and click subscribe. All new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks so much for your support.